Hey, good morning and Merry Christmas. Uh, to those of you who are regular, a part of Crossroads Napoleon, uh, Levi and Rachel and Lynn and I, just at the end of the year, want to thank you again for the privilege of serving here at Crossroads Napoleon. Uh, we don't take that for granted. We understand that, that we are able to do this because of your generosity and your willingness to have us. And so thank you. We hope that you have a, a wonderful Christmas season here and we look forward to this new year. Uh, if you're visiting or you're a college student back, we're, we're glad to see you. It's just awesome to see uh, some people that uh, we used to see regularly here that have not been able to join us. And so we're, we're glad for you this morning here. Hey, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you've got an electric copy, you can swipe there. It will be on the screen, but I just really encourage you to have your, your own Bible and have it open. This morning, we are going to look at a well-known Christmas narrative. And sometimes we become so familiar with these Christmas narratives and these stories that, that we fail to see the importance of them and the beauty of them. In an age of fictional movies and fictional television and fictional stories in general, sometimes we can read a story like we're going to read this morning and forget that these were real people and real life events that we're reading about. So one of the challenges of teaching a Christmas message is that we're looking at a familiar passage of Scripture that talks about familiar stories and uses familiar words and familiar themes and characters. So as I read this section of Scripture, do your best to listen to it and look at it as though you have never heard it before. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You know, the, the simple and the profound message of Christmas is that God, the creator and king of the universe, became one of us and came here to earth. Many places in the Gospels, Jesus Christ claims to be God. He is God with us. And as Levi pointed out last week, uh, I can't even imagine 
what life would be like, especially when we go through difficult and painful times, if God had not come and been with us and is today still with us. God with us makes all the difference in the world. God dwells with us, and he's not only with us, but God is within us. When we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, he dwells within us to guide and direct our every step. And church, I don't know if you know this, but every other religion talks about good things that we must do in order to be good enough to be with God. And Christianity, unlike all of those religions, tells us that no amount of being good, no amount of being religious will ever get us to God. Christianity is the religion where God comes to us. He comes to be with us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. So this morning, as Levi mentioned, we're going to take a look at a very, very familiar character in the Christmas story. For just a few minutes, we're going to focus on Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And if we're, we're not careful we will miss an essential truth that his life has to teach us. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that Joseph is often an underappreciated character in the Christmas story. While Jesus Christ is, and he should always be, the central focus of Christmas, Joseph is in the the nativity set. We all have nativities where, where Joseph is with us, And uh, sometimes Joseph is laying down, apparently. Uh, Sometimes Joseph carries a staff with a a light. And sometimes he just kind of points in the direction of Jesus, you know. Sometimes we just don't really know what to do with Jesus, even in our nativity set. You know, in, in our culture and in the church, Mary has her own song. Mary, did you know? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's not a song, Joseph, did you know? And yet the life of Joseph provides a vivid example of obedience in times of confusion, in times where life does not make any sense. And I'm not sure where you're at right now, whether everything in your life makes total, complete sense. Uh, My prayer is today, if you're here and there are some things in your life that just don't seem to make sense, some things that you and God are even wrestling with, I'm, I'm praying and trusting that that Joseph's example will be a a real encouragement to you. Our Advent Christmas series has been entitled uh, Wait. And we know that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, predicted a coming Messiah that would be born of a virgin. And that prophet, Isaiah, lived 700 years before Jesus was born. The Jewish people waited and they waited and they waited for the coming Messiah. And Joseph was one of those who would wait and wait and wait. And on a much, much more personal level, our text finds Joseph waiting for the past three months or so for his wife-to-be to return. Because a few months earlier, she had left town very, very quickly and unexpectedly to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Look again at Matthew uh, 1.18. It tells us that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And in those days, in the Jewish culture, a man and a woman would be pledged or betrothed to one another. In our couple, 
in our uh, culture, couples get engaged. Uh, typically, a man buys a ring and asks uh, the woman to marry him and gives her the ring, and if she says yes, they are engaged. If anything during that engagement period happens, either one of them can just say thanks but no thanks and go their separate ways. Not so in a Jewish marriage. In a Jewish marriage, there were really two parts of that. The first one would be the betrothal, and the second would be the wedding with a period of time in between. And during that in-between time, a husband and a wife were legally bound to one another. And they could only be uh, separated if there was an actual legal divorce and a reason for that divorce to take place. Uh, And this was really an intentional time for preparation for the marriage. Now, in verse 18, it tells us that during that betrothal time, Joseph and Mary had not come together yet. Now, most of us of any age understand very clearly what Scripture is teaching here. They had not had a physical relationship. There was to be no bow-wow, chicky-wow-wow in the betrothal period, if you know what I mean. And if you don't understand that, talk to Levi. He has three children. (laughs) What we know about Joseph, though, is that he honored not only God, but he honored Mary and he honored her family by respecting her and by having a very pure engagement type uh, relationship. Now, most of you remember Mary's experience that was on the side that Joseph at this point had no clue about. And in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 26, it tells us, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And again, you and I, we got to read these these passages simultaneously and together, but Joseph didn't. We remember that that Mary was told by this angel that she was going to conceive and that this conception was going to be by the Holy Spirit. The angel goes on to tell her that her, uh, her relative Elizabeth is already six months pregnant and the child that she's going to conceive is actually going to be considered the son of the Most High. And Mary, and what an amazing response this young girl has. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then in Luke uh, one thirty nine, it says, At that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea to visit Elizabeth. And although we don't know for certain, many, many Bible scholars believe during that three-month absence, that Joseph was still unaware of Gabriel's visit and her unexpected pregnancy. So, no doubt, when Mary heads back to town or gets back to town, Joseph had been waiting very, very expectantly for her arrival. Many of you may or may not know this, but um, I come from central Illinois, and uh, during Lynn and I's engagement period, I was finishing my last year of school at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. No, I didn't think that was going to get much of a response. Uh, And during that time, Lynn was at uh, teaching school for her first year at the Bedford District in Temperance, uh, Michigan. 
And so we're old, and uh, this was way before cell phones. This was before internet and any of that. Some of you guys remember that engagement time, where if you wanted to talk to your sweetie, you had to pick up a phone and pay a pretty significant long-distance charge to talk with them. So it meant if you were poor, you didn't talk to them every single day. But once in a while, I would schedule a visit and come out to Northwest Ohio and get to see her face to face, and it would be a wonderful, wonderful time. And then when, we, when I left and headed back to uh, central Illinois, all I could think about was when I was going to get to come back and see her again face to face. And that might be, again, two months in between those kinds of times. So I understand the intensity of the feelings that Joseph had anticipating Mary to come back to his hometown. And, and many of you understand that as well. And in Matthew 13, 55, we're told a little something else about Joseph. We're told that he was a carpenter, that he was a builder. He built stuff with his hands. And we're not given any details, but it's not unreasonable to think that when Mary returned back from three months being away uh, with her relative, that Joseph might have been found in the shop making a, a simple chair or maybe a, a simple table of some sort. There wasn't a lot, a lot of wood in those areas. Um, and he's working with his hands. So can you imagine that day when, when he finally hears that Mary has arrived back in town? He had to have been thrilled. No more did he have to wonder, how was she doing? Was she all right? Was she even going to come back? He didn't have to worry about that anymore. He wondered about those things. What I wonder is, how did he find out about this uh, unplanned pregnancy? We don't know, but perhaps he again was right in the middle of a project, and she came up behind him and gave him a hug, and he felt the three-month baby bump that wasn't there before she left. Maybe she fixed him a really nice meal, and in between the main course and dessert, casually mentioned something about being pregnant. We don't know. Did she set him down privately, away from family, away from friends, knowing that this was going to be the shock of his life, and say, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, you need to sit down. Or when she first approached him, like ripping off a Band-Aid from a wound, did she just come right out with it and say? Again, we don't know how she broke the news, but we are sure when Joseph heard the words, I'm pregnant, he found himself emotionally on the floor. Some of you have seen that movie. Uh, and when he heard the words, I'm pregnant, I wonder how long it for that tornado of swirling emotions and things in his head to slow down just long enough for him to start running through the names in his mind of who this could be. You know, who had had their eye on Mary? Was this somebody from his hometown or somebody from, from Elizabeth's? Was this a stranger or was it a friend? And, and to be honest, I'm pretty confident that it did not comfort him at all to hear that this pregnancy was not by some man, but by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. You know, how does that happen? How do you respond when a loved one, the love of your life, cheats on you and is now making blasphemous statements about it? How do you respond to that? And I know this account, this little part of the story, is incredibly difficult for some in this room. 
I know that there are people in this room that have felt the awful pain of having somebody cheat on them. I know there are others in this room have felt the, the extreme pain of being the person that cheated on someone that they loved. And I don't bring this up in any way to, to increase your pain or remind you of that or to shame you in any way, shape, or form. You of all people know the incredible emotional roller coaster that Joseph was going through, the, be the bewilderment and the confusion uh, that was uh, found in this betrayal. Now, of course, you and I, we know what's going on, that this isn't a scandalous event. This is a life-altering miracle that Joseph is in, in, the, in the part of here. But remember, Joseph, at this point in time in the story, had no clue what God was up to. Can you imagine what Joseph heard from the other men in his community? At the carpentry shop or on the streets? Uh, I've been around a lot of men in my life. For about six years, uh, I worked on and off in a, in a kind of a maintenance custodial facility and, and worked with a lot of men in that regard. In high school, I was on a, a good number of athletic teams, and, and I've heard the stuff that goes on in the locker rooms. Uh, some of you are wondering about my college athletic career. That never quite got off the ground because of lack of skill. But, but I know how guys think. And there's no doubt in my mind what Joseph heard from other men. Understandably so, there were friends of his that said, Joseph, run. Don't be with this woman, run. If you can't trust her before the wedding, you certainly can't trust her afterwards. Joseph, get even with her. Find one of her friends and have yourself a good time. Joseph, get out and, and make a scene at the synagogue and they, they might even drag her out and stone her to death. Make her pay, Joseph. We don't know how those conversations went, but certainly it's clear that Joseph is confused and his life has been turned upside down. Some of you in relational ways and in health ways and in financial ways understand what it means to have your life turned literally upside down. He was left with a broken heart, a broken reputation, broken promises, and broken dreams. Again, many of you have been there. Over the years, I've had the privilege of walking with individuals whose lives are just unraveling at the seams. And uh, there have been times where I have received phone calls at 2 or 3 in the morning, and uh, after maybe a half-hour conversation, come to realize the person calling me didn't even know that it was 2 or 3 in the morning. They probably wouldn't have called me at that time if that was the case. But their, their lives were so unraveling. The wheels had come off so quickly, and they just needed somebody to talk to. That's where Joseph finds himself in this story. And yet, church, look at verse 19. Here's how he responds. Because Joseph, her husband, he was considered her husband even though the marriage hadn't taken place. Her husband was a righteous man. Another word for that is he was a just man. Didn't mean he was perfect, but he had integrity. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Although in his mind, Mary had offended him in a way that nobody else could offend him, he took the high road. See, there were two ways he could have responded to this situation, publicly 
or privately in a way that would disgrace her, in a way that might help her hold on to some semblance of, uh, of uh, pride in her life. Church, this is a good time for us to ask our question, how do we respond when somebody hurts us? How do we respond when somebody just flat out wrongs us? And, and church, Christmas is a time where we sit down face to face with people, be them coworkers or friends or family members that have hurt us. How, how do we respond when that situation takes place? Let me encourage you to follow the example of Joseph and take the high road. You may have to bite your lip once or twice around the Christmas dinner table this year, and that's okay. Do it. You may have to dispense grace to somebody who doesn't deserve it this year, and that's okay. God's got your back. He dispenses to great grace to us when we don't deserve it. So back to Joseph. Perhaps later that night or a couple of days later, just out of pure exhaustion, Joseph falls asleep. And we're told in verse 20, but after he had considered this, that, that divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this isn't spiritual, but just as a little aside, it occurred to me that when Joseph woke up from this dream and after he had heard what the angel said to him, at that very moment, that man, that poor fellow found himself in the middle of the greatest I told you so events recorded in all of history. Can you just hear Mary saying to, to Joseph, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Now, Joe, let me hear you say it. Mary, you were right and I was wrong. Now, I'm sure Mary didn't go down that track, but she might have thought about it. Church, don't miss verse 24. This is the linchpin of this, this section here. When Joseph woke up, he asked a bunch of why questions to God. He started with, why me, Lord? And then he went to, why us, Lord? And then he moved on to, why now, Lord? And then, why this, Lord? Is that what it says in verse 24? It doesn't. Joseph woke up, and he told God he'd like a little more information before he made up his mind as to whether he, he went through this or not. No, that's not what it says either. He told God that he'd like to talk to a few trusted friends before he decided whether he was going to take Mary back. No, that wasn't it either. He told God that he needed to actually, he made it spiritual. I need some time to pray about this, Lord. No, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. With the sneering voices of judgmental people in his ear, Joseph obeyed. Without many of the details, Joseph obeyed. Without any regard to his own preferences, Joseph obeyed. Without the full story or much of the story, Joseph 
obeyed. Church, we need to remember that Matthew chapter 1 is not some clean, polite, happy ever after story. When Joseph obeyed and took Mary as his wife, his life and hers changed forever. People in his town, no doubt people in his family, probably his immediate family, didn't stop thinking that he was a fool and she was a tramp. No doubt guys that were once friends still joked about him behind his back as he went to and fro. This was not an easy calling. Outside of the Christmas narratives, we really don't see much about Joseph anymore. In the end, we know that the agenda he had for his life was totally, totally rearranged. And here's the main thing that I don't want to miss and I don't want you all to miss in in Joseph's life. He obeyed God in the midst of confusion, pain, and loss. God certainly didn't write the entire script out, hand it to Joseph and say, hey, what parts of this do you like? What parts of it you don't? Give me a thumbs up or give me a thumbs down. You get to vote. God gave Joseph very, very little information. He gave him but a glimpse of what was going on. I'm sure he didn't even have a clue what what all this meant. He showed him a small part of the picture, and then he asked Joseph to obey, and he did. And as the result of his obedience, Joseph finds himself right in the middle of God's miraculous plan, Emmanuel, God with us. You may have noticed that in chapter 1, the first part of chapter 1 starts off with a long genealogy. It traces Joseph's line and family tree all the way back to Abraham. It includes men like Isaac and Jacob and King David and many others who all, unlike Joseph, waited but never saw the Savior. Today, you and I and other followers of Jesus are not waiting for the arrival of of a baby in a manger. We are waiting for a triumphant return. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross, and then he rose from the grave. And the Bible says that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is at right now. And in John chapter 14, look at these words. Jesus told his followers, "'In my Father's house are many rooms.'" If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. This morning, I want to close with one very simple, obvious application point. While we wait for the arrival and the return of Jesus, you and I would be wise to follow the example of Joseph by obeying God even when we don't fully understand his plans. And friends, when I say that, I'm aware that that we all experience painful experiences in life, but I'm aware that some of you have, have been dealing with some incredibly difficult, incredibly painful, incredibly uh, uh, confusing times and experiences. Some of you have lived and are living with shattered dreams and broken relationships. 
with loss and scars from even abuse from the hands of people that, that you should have been able to trust. When those things happen in life, we are tempted. And I believe the evil one, the devil, I believe our sinful nature, and I believe the world all tempt us to believe that God is not a good God and that his plan is not a good plan. This Christmas, I invite you to receive the gift of obedience without understanding. Receive the gift of of the freedom to obey without understanding all that you'd like to understand. Give yourself the freedom to obey God even when he calls you to do stuff that you don't understand the full picture. Church, and this is a hard lesson for me. I'm a a bit of a control freak. I kind of like to have things planned out and know where things are going to be and how things are going to be. But we do not need to understand everything about God's plan in order to obey it. We do not need to understand anything about God's plan to obey it. If it's God's plan and he calls us to it, we can and we should obey it. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what God was asking Joseph Joseph to do, was to, to trust and obey, to put his trust in the Lord. There are many tragedies and painful things that happen in life. Some of those are the direct result of things that we choose to do. Some of those are the direct results of things other people choose to do but affect our lives. Some of them are things that are, that are just simply random, it seems. And I can't even begin to explain to any of you why God does and why God allows some of the things that he does and some of the things that he allows. And to be truthful, if you find somebody who can explain all of that, you, you should probably move in another direction because nobody knows and understands those things. But I can promise you this. God is always working out his perfect plan in our lives and in the lives of other people while not ever, not ever violating our free will in life. We see that play itself out time and time and time again in Scripture, and we've just seen this play itself out again in the life of Joseph. What seemed like a complete train wreck, a mess, was a small, small part of God's much bigger and wonderful plan that had eternal significance. God became flesh, lived a sinful life among us, so that he could be the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we don't any longer have to be separated because of our sins from a holy, righteous God. God gives our lives, including the messes and the struggles of our lives, eternal purpose and meaning. The band can come up here now again, and as I finish... I want to be really, really clear and make sure that I I remind you that it is not at all wrong to hurt in life. When someone wrongs you, when you're on the other end of the short stick, it's okay for that to hurt. It's okay for that to be confusing. It's okay for you to struggle in the midst of that. It's okay for you to grieve when you lose someone you love or you lose a, a job or a situation in life. It's okay, church, to be confused. However, this Christmas and each and every day after it, as we wait for the return of Jesus, let's commit to waiting 
like Joseph. Let's respond to evil with kindness and obey whatever it is that God calls us to do. As the angel told Joseph, Jesus came to save people from their sins. The Jews didn't need people, uh, someone to save them from Rome. That's kind of what they thought. But, but kings could do that, and they did that in the past. Only the God-man Jesus could save mankind from their sins. Here on earth, we'll never see God's complete plan, but we can trust that it's good, and we can obediently join in it and honor and glorify him in the process. Let me have a word of prayer, and then the band will lead us out on a, on a closing song. Lord, thank you for the Christmas narratives. They, they are familiar, Lord, and sometimes we admit they become so familiar that, that we miss the nugget of truth uh, in there for us. And in, in this story, Lord, there's, there's so much more even in this story. But Lord, this morning we focused on the example that Joseph is to our lives. Lord, many times I, I just think it's a sweet little story and, and I forget about all that it costs Joseph and Mary to willingly be obedient to you. And so, Lord, when, uh, when things come our way that are hurtful, that are confusing, that we don't understand, and Lord, I just have a sense that there are people in here this morning that even today are sitting in a fresh pile, so to speak, that are in the, in the torments of this kind of stuff that Joseph was. Life is not the way they planned. Life uh, isn't going the direction they thought they wanted it to go. And it seems useless, Lord. Would Joseph's life be an example that, that you're in it? And because you are in it, Lord, there's a much bigger plan and a, and a much bigger thing at stake. And so encourage us all, but especially those people that are kind of at the end of themselves, Lord. May you give them and the rest of us the power to obey you and to trust you because, Lord, you demonstrate your goodness each and every day of our lives if we, if we open our minds and our hearts to that. And so thank you, Lord. May we be found as individuals and corporately as a church here in Napoleon to being uh, a part of your plan and doing what you call us to do. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. What? Oh, God.